Today's teaching comes from Nehemiah chapter 6. Here are the word of the Lord. Now when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not set up the doors and the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent to me saying, Come and let us meet together at Hakifirim in the plain of Ano. But they intended to do me harm. And I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And they sent to me four times in this way. And I answered them in the same manner. In the same way, Sanballat for the fifth time sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand. And it was written, it is reported among the nations and Geshem also says it that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That is why you are building the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. And you have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. And now the king will hear of these reports. So now come and let us take counsel together. Then I sent to him saying, no such things as you say have been done for you are inventing them out of your own mind. For they all wanted to frighten us thinking, their hands will drop from the work, and it will not be done. But now, O oh God, strengthen my hands. Now, when I went into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deleah, son of Mehetabel, who was confined to his home, he said, Let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. They are coming to kill you by night. But I said, Should such a man as I run away? And what man such as I could go in the temple and live? I will not go in. And I understood and saw that God had not sent him, but he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. For this purpose he was hired, that I should be afraid and act in this way and sin. And so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. Remember Tobiah and Sanballat, O oh my God, according to these things that they did, and also the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elul in 52 days. And when all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem. For they had perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. Moreover, in those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah, and Tobiah's letters came to them. For many in Judah were bound by oath to him, because he was son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Ara, and his son Jehohanan had taken the daughter of Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, as his wife. Also they spoke of his good deeds in my presence and reported my words to him. And Tobiah sent letters to make me afraid." It was several years ago when uh, we had a, a nasty set of storms that, that rolled through Jacksonville, came up the river, went through Jacksonville. There were tornado warnings. There were spotted tornadoes. And I remember it was the, it was the evening. We had just put uh, both of our kids down. And we were just in the den, in the kitchen. And I heard this strange sound. And it was, it was like a kind of a low rumble and uh, I, I kind of looked at Kim, and about the time that we looked at each other, 
the, uh, you could feel the pressure just drop in the house. And uh, you could feel the, the roof. It literally felt like it was lifting and it was creaking. And we stared at each other and in a split second, just raced to the bedrooms, grabbed our kids out of bed, and we, we hunkered down in, in one of our bathrooms for, it was maybe 30 seconds to a minute. And of course, the next day we came out, there was no damage on our lot, but just outside our neighborhood, there was a swath where trees had gone down. Some sort of small twister had made its way through. But I, I'll never forget that moment when the, when the pressure dropped. I've never been through a tornado. So the pressure dropped, the roof started to lift, and I, there was fear that struck me. I mean, I could feel the, the hair on the back of my neck stand up. Um, it, it was... And I'm, I'm typically not a fearful person. And so when Kim saw that, that's when she said, something's happening here. We need to, we need to run and get the kids. But that, that experience of fear, that kind of fear can also be prompted by life's situations. There can be things that come into your life that produce fear. It may be one of your children who is struggling through some sort of health issue or some sort of disorder. And you wonder, is there ever going to be an end to this? Are they ever going to get past this? Or maybe you're in a place in your marriage where you've had just another fight and you're in a cycle and you're wondering, is our marriage going to last? Are we going to make it through this? Or maybe you've recently lost your job or you're experiencing the threat of losing your job and you have a child on the way or you have a handful of children, a spouse that you have to provide for. There are, there are circumstances in life that come at you and they come at you in the form of sin and brokenness and darkness and the way things aren't supposed to be. And they can produce a great amount of fear and a great amount of anxiety. The question is, when that happens, where do you find refuge? Where do you find refuge in the midst of storms that come at your life that produce fear? That's where we're at in Nehemiah 6. The storm comes over and over and over and over to Nehemiah. And the question is, where is their refuge for God's people? They're in the midst of rebuilding the wall. Well, the short answer is in Christ. The long answer is in a number of different ways in which Christ becomes our refuge. The first being Christ, our shield. Christ, our shield. So chapter six of Nehemiah takes a little bit of a shift from chapter four, which is also about opposition and resistance. Chapter four, you have Sanballat, Tobiah, the enemies that are pressing in and resisting this work of rebuilding the wall. Let me just remind you that this rebuilding of the wall in Jerusalem finds its fulfillment in the building of the church in the New Testament. So what we're reading about in the rebuilding of the wall is what we see now in Jesus building his church in the New Testament. And what you see is the resistance in chapter four is much more broad. It's, it's, it's aimed at the people as they're building the wall. The taunts are to the people. But in chapter six, and we read in verse one that the wall is actually finished now. They just haven't hung the doors and the gates. So it's right at being done 
that now the attacks zero in and laser in on Nehemiah. Because the enemies know that if we can take Nehemiah down, we can take the build of the wall down. We can take the people down. And so Sanballat and Geshem send a letter to Nehemiah. We see this in verse two, requesting a meeting with Nehemiah. Hey, Nehemiah, come meet us out in this place, this little neutral place. We just wanna talk to you. Right, Nehemiah knows better. He discerns they're intending to harm him, maybe kill him. So he says, no. This happens four times. They send a letter four times, a, a request to Nehemiah four times, and four times he says, no. Let me just pause and state the obvious here. Okay? The forces of evil, the forces of darkness, hate the advance of the church of Jesus Christ. That's why you see letter after letter after letter to stop the rebuild, which is all about a place where God's people are restored into a place of worship and communion with him. And so there's resistance. So four letters come, Nehemiah says, no, you think they get the point. No, they send a fifth letter. This time, right, the letter is sent, it says as an open letter. That means it's purposeful. That as the letter is sent, Along the way, everybody can read it. And in this letter, there are rumors, right? What are the rumors in this fifth letter, which is an open letter? Look at verses six to seven. It says that the Jews were rebuilding the wall in an act of rebellion against King Artaxerxes. Nehemiah was planning on setting himself up as a king and rebelling. Now, this is a rumor, but this kind of tactic actually already happened. In Ezra chapter four, when the rebuilding started, there were people that went to King Artaxerxes and said, if you let the Jews rebuild this wall, they are going to take over. This is a rebellion. It's a threat to your authority and power. And the king believed him. And so he shut down the rebuild. But remember where we're at now. In Nehemiah 2, Nehemiah goes to the king to ask permission to go rebuild again. And the king says, yes, he changes his policy. He sends Nehemiah to go rebuild Jerusalem. And he sends Nehemiah with timber from his forest. He provides all the wood and, and the supplies for it. And so what you see here is the enemies are playing off of past fears and past realities that are no longer true, but the, the enemy is playing off that to strike present fear. Now, you know exactly what that feels like because we all have a past. We all have things that have happened in the past. And the enemy dredges that up to strike fear in the present. That's what he's doing here through Sanballat and Geshem and Tobiah. Verse nine, what is the purpose here of these letters and what they're trying to get Nehemiah to come out and meet them for? For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done, right? So the purpose here is to strike fear. And so then Nehemiah refuses this fifth invitation. And I love how he does it. Look at verse eight. Then I sent to him saying, no such things as you say have been done for you are inventing them out of your mind. He says you're out of your mind. You're lying. These are rumors. No, I'm not coming. I'm not coming out to meet you. I'm busy here rebuilding the wall. Jab. I'm rebuilding the wall. I'm not coming. Here's what you see. Nehemiah is taking all of these blows and these attacks of the enemy. You notice here, 
the people of God who are rebuilding the wall aren't being, aren't in the picture. They're not in the picture. Nehemiah is standing up and defending God's people and taking the attacks and the blows and shouldering it all, right, as a shield to protect God's people who are working. And in this, you see a beautiful picture of Jesus Christ as our shield and as our defender. In Matthew chapter 10, when Jesus sends out the 12 disciples, see, Jesus is building the church and he sends out his disciples to proclaim the good news. In Matthew 10, he sends them out, he says, as sheep amongst wolves. He says, listen, when you go out, there's gonna be resistance. There's gonna be hardship. This is not gonna be easy. Building the church is not easy. And then listen to what he says to them in verses 28 to 31 of Matthew 10. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father apart from the will of the Father, but even the hairs of your head are numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Notice what Jesus doesn't say here. His response to his disciples' fears is not, fear not, I'm gonna take all the hard stuff away. Fear not, I'm gonna take away the very thing that's causing you to fear. No, that's not his answer. Jesus' answer is, fear not, because my Father and I are your shield and your defender and your protector, and no one or nothing can touch you unless I first give permission. That's the answer that Jesus gives. We don't have time to read all of Psalm, Psalm 91, but I would encourage you to read it. And I'm gonna to read to you the first few verses of it that talk about the shelter of God, the refuge of God. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, for he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrows that fly by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. Jesus Christ is your shield. Growing up, we would go every summer to Tawanda, Pennsylvania, big booming metropolis of Tawanda, Pennsylvania, northern central Pennsylvania. It's where my dad's parents lived, my grandparents, and we'd go up every summer and we'd visit. And one of the highlights of the trip to Tawanda, Pennsylvania was when my dad would take me, my brother, and my sister on a hike up behind my grandparents' house, up through the woods, up through the hills, and We'd go on this big hike. 
And it was awesome. We looked forward to it every time. We'd go out in the backyard up into the woods and find our hiking stick. Just fond memories of it. I remember one summer we were out on a hike and a nasty storm kicked up, really bad. Thunder, lightning, rain, high winds. You know, we're walking through a forest with tall trees, not the place you want to be when lightning is striking all over the place. But man, my dad was the hero that day. We're walking through the forest. And, and you could tell, he, when, it, when it kicked up, he went into protection mode. And he looked and he saw this rock outcropping and there was a flat rock that came up out of, the, out of the ground at an angle. So it produced this little shelter, almost like a little cave. And he whisked us over there. And he put us in the back of the shelter where the rock was coming out of the ground. And then he, he kind of squatted on the open side of the shelter and he just put his arms around us. We were dry. We were safe. He took all the fear away. That's who Jesus Christ is. That's what he does. Is he protects you. He's your shield. He's your defender. When the storms of life hit, when you're scared to death, when you face trial and adversity and hardship, all the things that come in a broken world, when you're struck with fear because you have no idea how this thing is going to pan out, Jesus says, don't fear, because I'm your shield. I will cover you. I will protect you. I love you. And we talk about the storms of life. We talk about hardship. We talk about trial, and that's most often how we talk about storms. But there's a storm that he has sheltered you from that is the storm of all storms. And that is the storm of God's righteous judgment on sin. If you are in Jesus Christ, meaning you have trusted Christ, that means that Jesus Christ has taken judgment for you. That means that he has absorbed the blows of judgment, of God's righteous judgment on sin, and when you look at his life via the, the mocking and the flogging and the crucifixion and the separation from the Father, Jesus Christ has shielded you from judgment if you're in Christ. Now, if you're not in Christ, then you face that judgment on your own. You're exposed to that judgment. Trust Christ. Trust him that he would be your shield not only shielding you from the judgment that's due on your sin and taking it for you, but shielding you throughout life in a broken world where trials and circumstances are awful and hard. Jesus is your shield of protection. So where do you find refuge in the storms of life? First, in Christ our shield. Second, in Christ our representative. So they try five times to get Nehemiah to come and meet him out in this place so they could harm him. He said no. So the outside attack didn't work. So now they try an inside attack and they hire a prophet inside of Israel to attack. They hire a man named Shemaiah. Nehemiah says goes to visit Shemaiah because evidently he believes or discerns that Shemaiah had some sort of prophecy regarding him. And then look at verse 10. What does Shemaiah say to Nehemiah? Let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. 
Let us close the doors of the temple for they are coming to kill you. They are coming to kill you by night. Right, Shemaiah is saying, hey, Nehemiah, they're coming to kill you. Let's go hide out in the temple. Great idea, right? Now, verse 12 says that Shemaiah was hired by Sanballat and Tobiah, the enemies. But what was his purpose in taking or trying to get Nehemiah to come into the temple? Look at verse 13. For this purpose, he was hired that I, Nehemiah, should be afraid and act in this way and sin. And so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. Nehemiah was a layman. He was a governor. He wasn't a priest. He wasn't allowed in the temple. And if he would have gone into the temple, he would have sinned. And he would have discredited himself to the people. They would have quit following him. The rebuild would have ended. And so what you see here is that at first they try to outright just hurt Nehemiah, harm him, take him out to a place and beat him up. That didn't work. So then they turn inside and say, well, if we can't harm him from the outside, then we're going to get him to sin. We're going to tempt him to sin. And Nehemiah resists. Again, let me just point out the obvious here. The people of God who are working on the wall are not on center stage right now. Nehemiah is center stage, and he is receiving all of the attacks. Because as Nehemiah goes, so the people go. If they can take Nehemiah down, they take the people down. What I want you to see here is that the people of God, their well-being rests on the well-being of Nehemiah. And Nehemiah is representing them. And he's resisting the, sin, the, the temptation to sin for them, to protect them. Again, a beautiful picture here of our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. That he is our representative in Matthew chapter 4 as Jesus is just beginning his mission to build the church. Again, the rebuilding of the wall finds its fulfillment in the building of the church. Jesus is just about to, to launch his, he's launching his mission. The spirit leads him into the desert where he, he fasts for 40 days and 40 nights. And at the end of that time, the devil comes and tempts him three times. And each time, Jesus Christ resists by quoting scripture, by quoting the word of his father. Do you see the parallels here? Nehemiah resists the temptation to go in the temple because he's holding fast to the commandment of God. Jesus Christ resists the temptation from the devil by holding fast to the commandment of his father. And he's doing this as our representative. Listen, the temptation of Jesus in Matthew 4 is not exemplary. And what do I mean by that? Matthew 4, you're not to read that and go, oh, this is how Jesus resist, resisted temptation, so now this is how I'm to resist temptation. No. Matthew 4 is representative. That's Jesus Christ resisting the devil for you because your first parent, Adam, failed when he was tempted by the devil and you inherited his flawed record. You inherited his sin. But now here's Jesus coming on the scene as the second Adam resisting the devil, resisting sin. And he's doing that for you. That if you have placed your trust in Jesus Christ, you have a new representative. 
You're not represented by Adam and you don't have his flawed record anymore. You're represented by Jesus Christ and you by faith receive his perfect record of resisting sin. Jesus Christ represents you. What is true of Jesus is true of you if you're in Christ. You say, now what does this have to do with finding refuge in the storms of life? You know, we talk about storms as hard circumstances and trials, and that is true. But one of the most debilitating storms that you will face is the overwhelming guilt and shame of sin and failure. That that's one of the most debilitating storms that will come into your life when you've sinned once again and you've failed once again. Where's the refuge in the midst of that? Let me tell you where it's not. Well, I'm gonna try harder. I'm gonna do better next time. No, the refuge in the midst of that storm is Jesus Christ, your representative. Listen, sin hurts relationships. Uh, sin questions worth. Uh, sin promotes isolation. And yet we read in 1 John 2, 1, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. That word advocate means intercessor. It means helper. It means representative. That when you sin, you have a representative before the Father, Jesus Christ, saying, Father, I took that sin and paid for it. Father, I took that act of stupidity and paid for it. You're represented by Jesus Christ. He intercedes for you. And so when you face that storm of shame and that storm of guilt and that storm of I am no good, the refuge is Jesus Christ, your representative, who is pleading your case to the Father. Where do you find refuge in the storms of life? Christ our shield, Christ our representative, and finally, Christ the victor. After all the failed attempts, so you've got four invitations to Nehemiah, didn't work. You had a fifth invitation that's an open letter, didn't work. You have an inside job of trying to hire a false prophet within Israel to get Nehemiah to sin, doesn't work. And then, oh, okay, verse 15. Oh, by the way, so the wall was finished in 52 days. It's like anticlimactic. Wait a minute. After all of this, you'd expect, and the wall was finished, exclamation point. Let's party. This is amazing. But it almost has this kind of matter-of-fact sound to it. It almost reads as though, was it ever in question? I mean, was the, was the, wall, was the finishing of the wall ever really in question? with Nehemiah at the helm and God empowering it? No, of course not. So yeah, the wall was finished. And then you read in verse 16, and, and when all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem, for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. What a great reversal of fear. All we've read so far 
is the enemy's attempts to strike fear in Nehemiah and fear in the people. We read it in verse nine. They all wanted to frighten us. We read it in verse 14. The rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. And at the end of the day, who's afraid? It's the surrounding nations. God's victorious. Nehemiah is victorious, empowered by God. Right? There's this great reversal of fear. The reason why so far through this story that you never see Nehemiah fear is because he believes what we read in chapter one when he said the good hand of God was upon me. See, in Nehemiah's framework, there was only one outcome, and that was that the wall would be rebuilt and that the enemies would be defeated. And that's exactly what we see. In Acts chapter five, the, uh, the apostles, Peter and the apostles, whom Jesus had sent out, now Jesus in Acts is risen at the right hand of the Father, sends the Holy Spirit to continue his work through Peter and the apostles. They get arrested, they get thrown in prison for teaching in the name of Jesus. Angel of the Lord miraculously frees them from prison. They come out, the authorities pull them in to question them and then tell them, to not teach in the name of Jesus. And they say, sorry, we can't not do that. And then Gamaliel, one of the Pharisees, stands up and says something so profound. He says, men, you need to be careful what you do here. He goes on to say, there were two self-proclaimed saviors that came before this, and they got a huge following. But when those self-proclaimed saviors died, all the followers scattered. And so this is what he says. Keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. When Jesus is hanging on the cross and that Roman centurion is at the foot of the cross, and it says that when Jesus breathed his last breath, there was an earthquake. And it says the Roman centurion, when he, when he felt the earthquake and saw everything that was happening, he said, surely this is the son of God. That Jesus was the victor. That Jesus was victorious. Verse 16 of Nehemiah 6 would have been a great Hollywood ending to this chapter. I mean, verse, verse 16 is the victory, the doors are hung, the wall's finished, the enemies are afraid now, boom, finished, Hollywood ending, move on. But life doesn't have Hollywood endings, does it? That's not how real life works. Life is not Hollywood. And so what we read in verses 17 to 19, what's it described? Tobiah, still sending letters to try to make Nehemiah and the people afraid. He's still sending letters. He has these connections with nobles and officials inside Jerusalem, so he's still working conspiracy angles. Still doesn't give up. The reality is that in the midst of victories, in the midst of, of little small victories in your life, there is always a continuing undercurrent of hardship and of disappointment 
and of brokenness. And that is not going to change until, until Jesus returns. But Jesus is the victor in the storm, not just after the storm has passed. He's victorious in the circumstance, not just when the circumstance goes away. That's a creative way of saying this, that Jesus is victorious in the already but not yet that he is the victor between his first and second coming, even when sometimes it does not feel like it. Jesus is victorious. I love the Jason Bourne trilogy movies. They're awesome. I could, I could watch those for an entire day three times over and love every last minute of it. What an incredible trilogy. You can't disagree with that. You think I like those movies? Yes, I do. Born identity, born supremacy, born ultimatum. The first time I watched those movies, my heart raced through the entire movie. They are so incredibly suspenseful. I mean, they are thrillers. You know, a lot of movies are predictable. Those are not. It, it is a, it, heart racing. You know what though? Second and third time I watched him, fourth time I watched him, I enjoyed them just as much, except I was so much more relaxed. My heart didn't race. Why? Because I knew the outcome, I knew the ending. You know the ending to the drama of life. Jesus Christ is victorious. Until he returns and sets things right once and for all, he is your shield. He says to you, nothing and no one can touch you unless my father and I give permission. That should bring a tremendous amount of assurance and comfort to your life. Jesus is victorious. He's your shield. He is your representative. If you've placed your trust in him, you are no longer represented by Adam and you no longer have that failed record. That if you're in Christ, you have his perfect righteousness, his perfect record. That's yours that will become a living reality when he returns, when you are unable to sin again. Jesus Christ is victorious in the midst of whatever pains you right now, in the midst of whatever hurts, in the midst of wherever you see sin and darkness and evil and brokenness pressing into your life. Hear the promise of Christ when he says, I'm your shield. I'm your representative when you fail miserably with sin and I am your victor and I'm coming back. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we read Ephesians chapter six of the, 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 the pressing in of resistance and evil from the evil one and yet we rejoice in the midst of that that Jesus, you extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, all the flaming arrows of sin and brokenness. 
that you are the hero, Jesus. You are the victor. And would you help us to hide and find shelter in you? Father, there are those here this morning that are experiencing the resistance of sin and darkness and brokenness in profound ways, in ways that some of us would be probably shocked by. Jesus, they need you as their shield, as their representative, as their victor. And so by your Holy Spirit, would you draw them close? As we read in Psalm 91, would you be their shelter? Would you cover them from the storm? Father, as we close in worship, would we sing to you, Jesus, would you be glorified and honored by your people who humbly sing to you the victorious one? We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.